All right, if you would grab your Bibles. Now, is there any step I've missed before preaching? I'm trying to get your... Good? Okay. We don't do any, like, absolving, like, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. We don't do that here? Wrong church? Okay. We're good. Because you have an outfit I could wear. And Heidi, you would look pretty hot as a pregnant nun. I'm just saying. In case you guys don't know, Tom and Kathy, that's what they dressed up as. I'm not okay. So first of all, I just want to say, I'm honored to be here. Um, we deeply love your pastor and his wife, Tom and Kathy. They have been such a huge blessing to my wife and my children, myself. Um, as a matter of fact, I jokingly said the other day that Tom saved me from the banditos. Because I actually was so frustrated in the lack of true brotherhood in the body of Christ. Um, and I have some really, really close brothers, once in Canada, so that doesn't count, um, that literally I was so kind of tired of just kind of flaky, fake Christians who only have your back when you're right in front of them, um, that I was like, yeah, you know, you know who's not like that? Man, every bandito I've ever met, I do some ministry to banditos, and I have a lot of respect for them. Um, they understand brotherhood. They have each other's back like no one else. So I actually even said to my wife, I was like, honey, I think I might want to prospect and like, you know, I'll just, I'll try to represent Christ there. And then I met Tom and Christian and that helped that I didn't have to. Um, so thank you. Yeah, but surely we love your pastor. We love Kathy. We love their, we even love their children. Yeah, so, so it's good. So uh, we're going to get into the word. Let's pray for the word and we'll get right to it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is life, your word is truth. God, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. God, that your word would come forth, that you would speak to our hearts, you would comfort our hearts, you would challenge our hearts. You would transform us by your spirit and by your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so before we lived in Brownsville, we actually lived in this nice town called Bend, Oregon. Who's ever heard of Bend, Oregon? Bend, Oregon is amazing. Okay, so they have 28 breweries for 80,000 people. That's not the only reason they're amazing. That is a big reason. Number two, it is like the most beautiful place you've ever seen. Like truly it is. There's trees everywhere. Everywhere. There's mountain bachelors like 20 minutes away if you want to go snowboarding. They have some of the best mountain biking and hiking. And our family, we really enjoy being outdoors. We really like hiking. Heidi's a lot better than I am. So we did this hike called on Misery, was it Misery Ridge at Smith Rock? And it's like, goes like this. And by the time we got to the very first stop, I was like, honey, let's just stop and look at the beauty, beautiful surroundings. And she's like, really? She's like, okay. So, um, and our kids, when we're on these hikes, I think for me as a parent, who knows you kind of experience things differently when you have kids. Um, I actually really enjoyed seeing them just really enjoy the outdoors. Like they see a caterpillar, or they see a lizard especially. Every time you see a lizard, they're just like, like a dog with a ball. That's how my kids are with lizards. And um, so they love to play with everything, kind of enjoy everything. And this is kind of a thought that I stole from someone else. What do you think it's like to be a caterpillar? I mean, we know they don't have cognitive abilities, so once again, imagine with me. But could you... Picture the shock. I mean, your whole life, all you've ever done is kind of crawl around on the dirt. Maybe if you were a really, really brave caterpillar, climbed up on a little tree. Okay, that's all your existence. You're crawling around in the dirt. That's it. 
And then one day, I mean, probably you're a teenager, you take a really long nap. A really, it's called chrysalis. You guys, who knows? Do I need to break down chrysalis? We all know what chrysalis is. It's when the caterpillar goes to sleep, this amazing process happens, and they wake up a butterfly. I can almost imagine, like, you know, mom always told me to stay away from those mushrooms with the blue rings. What's going on? You know, like, right? I mean, you wake up, and you were a caterpillar, and now you're a butterfly. Okay, enter that in with me. That's, that would be crazy. I mean, whereas before you only crawled on the ground, now you're like, flying. Whereas before you were kind of like ugly and green. Now you're like beautiful. That would be a trip. And here's the funny thing. We all have had that experience or pre that experience of when we came to Christ. And it was almost like as magical of a transformation. Whereas before it's like we're trying to crawl to everything to give us life. We're trying to look from every relationship to get approval. And then all of a sudden Christ comes and he brings life to us. And it's like just as amazing as that whole process. And I'm not just meaning the emotional aspect of it. That's great. But truly, our whole paradigm has shifted. But what happens? Like, how weird would it be if that butterfly, instead of like going and finding other butterflies and like flying around, decided to stay with the caterpillars? Because like, that's a lot more comfortable. They know the caterpillars. It's a lot more safe on the ground because there's clear rules. Do this, don't do that. Here you go, I'm just making that up. Right? You can only crawl, this is what you do. Like, that would be crazy. Yet, we've all done that. Like, God has given us grace and love. Instead, we want to stay in dead religion and legalism. We want to stay where it's safe and where there's rules and where our performance can make it happen. Because if we do enough good and we leave enough bad, then we get approval. And so what happens, though, is when we first get that grace and we first experience that love, we're not there yet. We're still walking in the freedom that comes in Christ. And what causes that to go away? Like sometimes life just smacks us in the face. Can we be honest about that? Who's ever been like just punched in the face by life before? Right. Sometimes we have completely unrealistic expectations of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to go through life. Other times, they are realistic expectations, and they just get completely dashed. And so today, we're looking in the book of Titus. If you want to turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And Paul is writing to a younger pastor who's in Crete. And he's showing them, hey, this is how church goes. Here's who should be leading in church. Watch out for these false teachers. This is what they're teaching. Here you go. And he, he draws a great balance here between orthodoxy, which is what we believe, our right beliefs, and orthoproxy, which is our, our right living. So right before this passage we're about to study, like Paul is breaking it down. I mean, behavioral advice that just like crazy. He's like, okay, each, even for each class group, he's like, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. But we're going to see in this passage that Paul nails that all into grace. So let's go ahead and turn there together. Say amen when you are there. Titus 2, verses 11 to 15. Was that a hearty amen from everyone? And I'm reading in the ESV. That's God's version of the Bible. It's like I'm holding it in an NIV, so if it catches fire, Pastor Tom's fault. Let's pray. 
or let's read it. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. See, in the very first sentence of this, Paul is nailing all of his previous behavioral advice into the grace of God, into the grace of God that appeared. And if we don't properly understand God's grace, that our salvation came about from no work of our own, unconditional election, I think it's safe to talk about that here. You guys are Presbyterian still? Okay, cool. <laughs> unconditional election means that when God chose you and he chose the merits of Christ to go on your behalf, it was not because you met any condition. It wasn't because he foresaw that you would be awesome. So I'm sorry, you're not, and nor, nor am I. He didn't see that you would obey enough, you'd say the right things, etc. He did it out of the overflow of his love and grace. I'm going to say amen. So what happens, though, and praise God you're at a Bible-teaching church that understands grace, but what happens in a lot of Christianity is Christianity becomes a way to earn God's love and approval. It becomes a way where if you do it, kind of like I was breaking down earlier, if you do enough good, then, then God will give you a good life. Then God will accept you. You know what? If you give your tithe, hallelujah, and you do good, God's going to bless you with a pretty wife and a big house. And that's kind of what Christianity has been turned into, unfortunately. And so when we actually start to use our works and our good deeds as a way to get approval from God, completely backwards. Amen? And we actually go in the complete wrong direction. So I love Timothy Keller. You're probably going to hear me quote him a couple times. Um, he was teaching at Gordon-Conwell, and he did this comparison between religion and the gospel. And I kind of want to break that down right now. So with religion, and mind you, you can use the word religion in a positive term, term, peer religion, visit orphans. Or you can use it in a negative term, which term, which means like our outward works, okay? In Latin, it's like return to bondage. So with religion, says this, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Sorry, this side of the room is going to be religion, this side is going to be gospel. I don't know if that's prophetic, it's just how it ended up. So with religion, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Where with the gospel, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. I'm already loved deeply, and that's where my obedience flows from. With religion, motivation is based on fear and insecurity. I obey God in order to get things from God. With the gospel, our motivation is based on grateful joy. I obey God to get God, to delight and resemble him. So with religion, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I'm angry at God or myself. Since I believe, like Job's friends, that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. You see the gospel people really believe when things hit the fan, when things get really hard and tough. Then you'll see if it's religion or gospel. 
Whereas with the gospel, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle. Hey, that's true. But I know all of my punishment fell on Jesus. And that while he may allow this for my training, he will exercise his fatherly love within my trial. With religion, when I'm criticized, I'm furious or devastated because it's critical that I think of myself as a good person. And threats to that self-image must be destroyed at all costs. Whew. Do you ever cross paths with someone who has to be seen as good and right all the time? It is one of the most vicious encounters you'll probably go through. And all the elders and pastors in the house said, amen. It's hard. Because they have they can't hear anything that would somehow thwart their view of themselves as being good. Whereas with the gospel, when I struggle, or when I'm criticized, I struggle. But it's not critical for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is not built on my record or my performance, but on God's love for me in Christ. I can take criticism. That's how I became a Christian. Okay, just two more. With religion, my prayer consists largely of petition, and it only heats up when I'm in a time of need. My main purpose in prayer is to control the environment. God, if you just change my wife, please. If you would just change my boss. God, if you would just change my kids. Okay? Whereas with the gospel, your prayer life consists of generous stretches of praise and adoration. Because your main purpose is fellowship with him. Now lastly, and this is important, so make sure you tune in here. With religion, my identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am. And so I must look down on those I perceive as lazy or immoral. I disdain and feel superior to the other. I mean, praise God you've never met any religious people like that, right? I mean, San Antonio doesn't have any religious people like that, right? Just quiet in this Presbyterian church. Whereas with the gospel, my identity and self-worth is centered on the one who died for his enemies who was excluded from the city for me. I am saved by sheer grace. So I can't look down on those who believe or practice something different from me. Only by grace I am what I am. I have no inner need to win arguments. See, when we allow the gospel to restructure our identity, a beautiful thing happens. And I'm still waiting it for, to fully to kick in in my life. Okay, is on the one hand, we're completely humbled. Because we're like, well, it's my sin. And Keller does a great job of unpacking this, that put Jesus on the cross. It's because of my rebellion. It's because of my shortcomings that Jesus had to leave heaven and be brutally beaten and killed for me. Therefore, I'm humbled into the ground. I don't think I'm better than anyone else. But on the flip hand, man, it's because he loved me so much that he came and he took my sin. He left heaven because of his deep love. Therefore, I'm affirmed and valued into the sky, amen? So it keeps us walking, on the one hand, humble, and on the other hand, accepted and loved. So now our behavior is coming out of this identity that is derived completely from Christ. Not how nice our car is, or how much we have in our bank account, or how good we do at church, or how what nice smile we can put on our face because of what Christ did for us, amen? So Paul says next, in verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so I did not go to church at all growing up. 
not raised in a religious home whatsoever. My dad was a drywaller. We lived in Alaska for a bit. My mom was an awesome mom. You know, they got divorced when I was like seven or nine, right around there. Um, we just never went, ever. But the only time I would go to church was with my cousin. And they went to an independent Bible Baptist church. You don't know what that is. Bless your heart. Um, they like almost to the point where like women cannot even pray in the church. Not even pray. Like if they don't use a drum, and I've heard them preach about this, because drums are not in the Bible, and therefore any church that uses a drum is a gateway to hell. I mean, it's crazy. It is all workspace performance. So here I am, 15 years old, and my cousin tricks me to go to Bible camp. Okay? He doesn't say Bible camp. He says, dude, we're going to have so much fun, man. There's like boats and archery and all this stuff. And I was like, yes, I'll go. And I show up there at 15. I was at black nail polish and purple hair and all sorts of funny stuff as a funny teenager I was and wearing a, uh, a, a shirt, a Nirvana shirt with Kurt Cobain having a cigarette on it. Not a good first start. They're like, son, you need to turn that inside out. That is not okay. You know, it was just, so I went there. That was my first interaction with Christianity. So needless to say, I did not like Christians at all. Like I thought Christian, mm, not good. Um, so whenever I would visit, though, so I went to this Bible camp, and maybe once a year, I'd be spending that at his house, and they'd be like, hey, let's go. I'm like, it's like, dude, there's girls there. I'm like, yeah, but they're crazy. That doesn't, no. Um, but I would go every now and then, and the pastor, every single time I was there, though, he would talk about the second coming of Jesus. I mean, it was like, and it's probably going to happen before the end of this service. Jesus is coming back. And if you're not ready, okay, so... That freaked me out. As an unsaved teenager, like I was like, no, like I haven't been married yet. I haven't had kids. Like I'm only 15. I haven't really done much. Like this can't happen. This is bad. So while he was actually using it in a very unbiblical way, he was using that to scare people to stay righteous, to stay saved, to stay holy. There's actually good application of it. When we actually expect the second coming of Jesus as a reality, that literally it could happen today, all of a sudden, all that petty stuff we hold on to kind of loses its weight, doesn't it? All that bitterness that we have, the unforgiveness, the quarrels we have with others, and I'm walking through that right now, okay? They lose their sting when you realize that at any moment Christ could come and look you in the eye and say, why didn't you forgive them like I forgave you? Why didn't you release them? So what it does is it gives us this big picture. Now our everyday life, like our to-do list, who has some gnarly to-do lists here? Yeah, your to-do list is like scary, right? You have so much to do. But now all of a sudden, even the to-do list comes into perspective. Because you realize God has this whole thing. It gives you grace to tackle what you need to do, but not put so much weight on it. Amen? But here's the flip side of the second coming. I know a lot of people are like, you know what? If I focus on the second coming, I'm going to be like one of those really weird guys on the road. They're like, have really long beards. They make me look like Tom. And 
and they're, but, but they're like homeless looking and they're like, Jesus is coming. Who's seen these guys? Or if you've been to an event, they're outside like, God hates you. God. Like, right? And you're afraid. If you focus on the second coming, you're like, dude, I might turn into that. And that's not good. That is bad. And you kind of wonder. It's like they don't care. You, it seems like they don't care about wor- the world now. That they're just ready to check out and go to glory. Amen, right? And so we think that they may happen. But actually, the opposite happens. When you long for the second coming of Christ, you long for the conditions that will be present at his coming. And what are those two things? One, everyone will see him as he is and will know him, even if it's too late for some. And two, justice will replace injustice. Hunger will be gone. Suffering will be gone. And all will be good. So if you're someone who actively looks to the second coming, you actively work so that others will know Jesus, so that others could come to an understanding of Christ and his work for them. So then they may may see him on this side of the equation. Also, you work for justice. That means when you see hungry people, you work to feed them. That means when you know that injustice is happening, you actually take your time and your abilities and your talents to work against injustice. To stop suffering. So it empowers you and strengthens you to be people who, A, want to share Christ. Now, I'm going to say that in a context of believing in grace and believing that God's the one who does the work. So that way you don't have to have like a belt with notches on it. Okay? So I, because I know like when I first got saved at 19, it was my mission to save the world. Like God had called me to save Washington State. And literally every conversation with me, like I had played in a punk band at the time, and I just like, every conversation was like, well, do you know Jesus? Like, are you, okay, you know you're going to hell, right? I mean, it was bad. It was not good. And so I'm not saying to be a, if I was at Tom's house, I'd know the word I was used right now. I'd say an obstinate person, because then you're just bringing persecution on yourself. But to actually love people and give them space to work through their questions work through their doubts, work through the traumas they've been through, and actually love them with no other agenda other than to just love them. Not because, okay, well, good, I'm hoping they do this and this and this. I'm hoping they make this decision. No, no, no. Your job is only to love them. And then number two, you're going to work to bring justice. You're going to work to see those who are without to have. And you're going to, when you, like, hear about teenage girls or young women being kidnapped and sold for slavery, you're going to do everything you can to work against that. Right? When you're at spring break and you see some, I know another word I've used, but I can't use here, guys trying to take advantage of someone. As a man, you go to work to stop that injustice. You don't pull out your phone like some fool and videotape it. Okay? So it happens in everyday life. You work for justice. Amen? Justice doesn't just mean, because so in here he says, we live upright, godly lives. And can we just be real about that word upright? So thank you. This is my great wife, everyone, Heidi Seaborn. She knows that her husband is a sweaty man, so she brings me these. Praise God. Thank you. Everyone give Heidi a hand clap, please. She's probably going to punch me in the face when we be in the car. What? She hates attention. It's great. So I can embarrass her easily. Okay, Lois, I will not put my sweat rag on your 
keyboard. So the word upright that Paul uses, actually the translation obscures things a little bit. Because we think upright, we think of like, you know, well, bless God, I have my life together, I'm a good person, I'm not cheating on my wife, I'm not doing this and this and this. And that's included. But it also means that you're a just person. The chaos actually has more to do with your just, your just living. You're seeing situations and working justly. So when you see Bruce Walkie, and Tom, feel free to pronounce, say it, correct my pronunciation if I'm saying his name wrong. We've determined that Tom can pronounce things a lot better than I can. So anytime, you just need to, okay. Bruce Walkie, he's a Bible scholar. He says this. In the Bible, the just are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community, whereas the unjust are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. And see, most of the time, we're only thinking of the robbing, stealing, etc. But in Proverbs 3, 27, it says, Do not withhold good when it is in your power to act. That means it's un- it is unrighteousness. To not feed the poor if you actually have the means to do so. It is unrighteousness to make your schedule so busy that you don't have time to help your elderly neighbor mow their yard. I mean, this is simple, practical stuff and how this bears down on us. So when we see these two aspects of one, living with urgency, forgiving others, walking in grace because of the second coming, or two, working so that people may know Christ and that justice maybe done on earth, we see that's a powerful combination. Amen? Now here's the last point. He calls us into a new family. That's it. That's us, guys. So imagine these, these caterpillars or butterflies, and then they run into other butterflies. Like some are like brand new butterflies like them, and like, whoa, what's going on? This is crazy. Like I almost hit a tree earlier. It's nuts. Like, right? And then there's the older butterflies who are like, hey, hey, this is awesome. Let me help you out. Okay? You see this cat over there, you want to avoid that, okay? They're going to eat you. Like, at least my, my cat eats flies. Like, what? Okay, so see these things, you want to avoid them. And that's the community, the new life. Paul says, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. See, this is most beautifully walked out in the context of the local church. I mean, that's when the rubber hits the road. That's where like, we decide, are we going to like hold on to the grudge of that grudge we have against the other person? Or maybe an elder made a decision you didn't agree with, or Pastor Tom. I mean, we know he's perfect and does, doesn't make any bad choices, but let's say he does something to really, really upset you. Do you hold on to it in your heart, or do you let it go? Like This is where grace is lived out. This is where the love of God is brought forth as a community and actually shown to be real. And guess what? It is messy. I mean, as a, so I've been a pastor about 13 years, mainly youth. Um, man, I've seen some messy stuff in my life. Tom, you've probably seen one or two messy situations. No? I know, these guys seem pretty awesome. <laughs> but that's when it's most real. Like, are we really basing who we are and what Jesus did? Or do we still try to influence it with our works and that therefore when we deal with other people we treat them according to their works we treat them according to their track record and how they've done now there's some areas yes 
I'm sorry if there's a guy and you struggled, struggled with abusing women, I'm not going to let you hang out with my daughter at all. And all the dad said, okay, right? So those parameters, we're not just saying, hey, it's great. We have this, you know, it's fine. No. But it means we walk forward in grace and forgiveness. So this week, I don't always do application points, but when I do, <laughs> a couple of you got that. So this week, as we look out, as we look to live out this community, this grace, this love, this justice, number one, let yourself be overwhelmed anew by the gospel of grace. Praise God during prayer for his free gift and love. And as you spend time in his word and his presence, like it's not something you're doing because you're earning his love. It's something you so want to encounter him and know him and be, just be known by him that you're spending time with him. Number two, daily meditate on the second coming of Christ. Don't grow out the crazy beard and go on the side of the road, please. But let a, let a work of holy urgency take place in you so you can live at peace with others. And then three, this page will cooperate. Look for ways to do life together as a church. Not just the corporate gathering. This is very important. The word and sacrament coming together to hear the word of God, to worship God together. But think of how you can pray for your fellow Hope Church family. Think of maybe God's prompting you because you know a family has a need. You know they need help moving. Or they, you know they need... <laughs> that was a little... I've already moved, so I'm not talking about me, by the way. I realized as I said that. That has already happened. Um, but look for ways to bring practical love and grace to people's lives. So imagine what that would look like if all of us grabbed onto this grace that Jesus so freely gave us, and we allowed that to affect the way we view ourselves in relation to God and the way we viewed others. And with that, we worked for the good of the community of San Antonio, of the families that are out there now who have no hope, who are broken, who are hurting. And yet you, in your very words, in your very deeds, can bring the presence and the love of Christ to them. And you can do it in the context of community, which is what God made us to live out. Let's pray. Lord, we need your spirit. We need your grace. We thank you that Jesus has done it all. That Jesus perfectly stopped injustice. Jesus perfectly brought your love. And we just acknowledge, apart from you, we can do nothing. Nothing at all. We need your love. We need your spirit. And so we pray that in any way that we've been living out of a workspace righteousness, trying to get our approval from what we do and the positions we hold. We just lay that all at your cross right now. And we receive just a fresh outpouring of your grace and of your love and of who we are in you. So Lord, we just ask that you would move in our hearts and that we would share your love and your grace with others. In Christ's name, amen. If you